Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, the host of Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. I've interviewed people ranging from athletes to CEOs to Oscar winners, entrepreneurs, everybody except for a pilot. And when I think of a pilot, I think of someone who wants to soar like an eagle, someone who gets their wings at a young age. Uh, but the parallels are endless with today's guest because he's not just a pilot in the air. He's a pilot of his family, which is also <laughs> the same family that I'm a member of, but I'm more of a flight attendant because the last job on planet Earth I would ever want to take is a pilot. Uh, but today, my brother-in-law, Nick Silva, uh, he is a uh, award winner of multiple awards, but the most important award is that he um, has a trophy wife called Liz Healy Silva. And uh, so today we're going to talk about his journey as a man, as a husband, as a father, uh, as a believer, as a business leader, as a business owner, as a student, uh, but most importantly, not most importantly, but equally as important as someone who has served our country in the Air Force. And he has done these things that for the last however many years he's been with my sister, I just have not asked. Everything from like, what does this button mean when you're flying in American Airlines? What does this sound mean? But what is it like to go and refuel a fighter pilot while you're mid-air? So today... We have my brother-in-law, my friend, uh, Nick Silva. So, Nick, thanks for coming. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, people are going to probably be wondering in the comment section, what are you wearing? So, uh, I have the lovely Mizzen and Main uh, button-up. Wow. Is that yeah. an, uh, like a large trim fit? I Not a lot about me is trim, but I, okay. think, I think the fit might be, yeah. But okay. It's most comfortable shirt I own. Okay. Did Great you have Friday any dessert shirt. prior to joining in? Like any cookies? <laughs> I uh, actually just had Tiff's treats delivered to my wife just because it was a uh, just you know just because it's Friday. Sent her a couple of Tiff's treats cookies. You know Tiffany and, gives out the best treats. And then yeah. as far as making your palate uh, cleansed, what is it that you're drinking this morning? It sounds strange. Nobody would really sound like they would want it, but Liquid Death. I can't. Is that a alcohol? No, it's just a, it's a beautiful sparkling water. Just cleanses your palate, refreshes. Wow, pilot, mm. father, husband, hero, spokesperson. Uh, Nick, get, get us here today. The last uh, last few decades, the journey into becoming Nick Silva. Um, what, what would be your official title if I was um, reporting to you? So I actually have. This is something I joke about a lot with Liz and with Sam. Sam is our ten uh, year old son, but I have Not ours. It's him and his uh, wife, yeah, and sister. He's yes, our ten year old yeah. son. We he spends him. he spends a lot of time with you, so we could it could be the royal no, R. Not my son. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so uh, I have several different jobs. So uh, I'm a first officer. I fly the Airbus uh, 319, 320, and 321 at American Airlines. I'm also uh, a part of our pilots union. I do that full time as chair of their economic and financial analysis committee. I am a major in the Air Force Reserves, um, and so I. I do various things out of uh, the base at Fort in Fort Worth. Um, I have my own uh, small, you know, LLC that I do small business consulting with, um, and then I try to you know coach a couple of Sam sports teams and be a good dad and a good husband at the same time. So, so depends Lieutenant on what Lieutenant Sergeant Coach Dad. Yeah, more like First Officer Major, Mister MBA Coach Dad. Also, yeah. room mom. Yeah, and, and officially this year for the first time, room mom. Last year would have been Mr. President because I got to be the president of the dad's club at my son's elementary school. Unbelievable. So. You know, the irony is he's hatless, but the man wears 
many hats, but maybe get us into the world that got us uh, into flying these big things that I'm, I'm terrified of. What yeah. was the uh, the story behind wanting to become a pilot? So to so to tell the story about being a pilot kind of has to go back a little bit farther. I was in uh, I was in college. I grew up in Northern California. Uh, my dad was a CHP officer. You know the show Chips back from the 70s. Uh, my mom worked for Pacific Bell, a telecommunications company, and have a younger brother, but uh, grew up there. I went to college at California State University, Sacramento. Um, you know, didn't have a lot of direction in college. My uncle was in the Air Force, and he uh, took me in to talk to a recruiter, actually, when I was a senior in high school on September 10th, 2001. No way. And uh, and then the next day happened, and I went to college instead of uh, enlisting in the Air Force for several reasons. But then didn't have a lot of direction, went back to the recruiter's office, got a job as a or enlisted in the Air Force while I finished up college. I'm giving you the... the yeah, the no, compressed just get, version. Yeah, get, get us yeah. to the airplanes. Yeah, so uh, so started flying as an enlisted uh, flyer in the Air Force. Got to hang out around a lot of um, you know guys who were between thirty and thirty five years old who were pilots. They had airline jobs. They had stable families. They had you know uh, really really comfortable life. And I started, and they also seemed to have their stuff together. And so I looked up to them and kind of said, Hey, how'd you get to be where you are? You know, started asking the questions. Did you like flying as a kid? I did. I did. I never, I always thought being a pilot was for somebody else. I never really thought it was like something that was even attainable. And then I just had great, I I got and I had an example showed to me and then I uh, had some great mentors who kind of helped me open the doors and worked hard and, Got picked up for uh, pilot training after I graduated college, and um, so you mentioned you were a flyer. Yeah. Is that is a, is the term pilot? Is that given to you after flyer? Um, so enlisted. So being an enlisted crew member is really what it's called. So on this KC ten that I have here, um, you got to slow it down because I mean, I, okay, I, sorry. But no, <laughs> yeah. I'm saying like I, I get it. it, it yeah, it, the language that you speak, you're yeah. fluent. You've it's sure. forever. So sure. What does even a KC ten mean? Yeah. So uh, KC ten is a in flight refuel. This is not an actual KC ten. No, are all watching. Nick and I are both really bit. large guys, but this is just a model. They're a little this bit bigger. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one to one fifty. Yeah. Yeah. So um so this airplane is piloted by two pilots and there are also two enlisted crew members. One's a flight engineer who runs all the systems, and then the other one is called a boom operator, and his job is to sit in the back of the plane and because this is a refueling tanker, it can refuel other planes in mid flight. Well the crew member who goes to the back and actually uh, puts the boom, which is a, an arm that sticks off the back of the airplane, into the basically the gas tank of the other airplane. That's the boom operator. So that's what I did initially while I was in college. Um, and for fun, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, uh, I had an internship at PlayStation. <laughs> you were you were uh, a, a, like a, in hero training. Yeah, I was probably playing a game. I yeah, it, called it, Tekken. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so it was not necessarily for fun because I deployed a few times while I was doing that. And so you, you know, you fly over uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And this is while you were in college? This is while I was in college, yeah. Wow. So, and during the summer, it's weird. Some guys, you know, they take an internship in the summer. I did a couple of deployments over my summers. Um, and, yeah, so it was, you know, you're a lot of different jobs on the plane, but that was my job. That was my main job was to refuel other planes. So, 
Um, you want me to go a little deeper on no, that? No, no, I just okay, think it's okay. fast. I mean, like, obviously, yeah. this is a great ADD story because we yep. have eight going on at once. But, <laughs> but you, you go to college, you, September 10th, the day before the world fell apart, mm-hmm. you got recruited, you decided it wasn't a good time for you. Mm-hmm. You kind of moonlit doing it maybe in college, at night, et cetera. You graduate, you decide that Air Force is the route that you want to take. Yeah. Knowing that from what you just kind of saw, the, yeah. the kind of path that was relatively cliche was Air Force and then commercial pilot. Yep. Coast job, you get your tenure, and yeah. you're kind of set. So that was what you saw at an early age where most people at 20, 21 don't have an idea of what they're going to have for lunch, but yeah. you had the next 50 years planned. Yeah, one, one of the things that I kind of figured out pretty early on, probably in my early 20s, was um, that if you work really hard, because everybody who's, I think everybody who's truly successful or truly is great at their career, they didn't, most of them didn't spend their 20s kind of goofing off. I mean, I think you're probably an example of that, right? You kind of, you graduated college. You, I know you moved to California for a little while, but you kind of put the hammer down, from what I understand, as far as building your real estate company and getting very involved in the industry. Unless this right? is just a mirage. <laughs> Maybe miragers. Yeah. No, I agree. It's sacrificing priorities. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it, it kind of, it didn't suck. But I think when you realize that, at whatever age, you have to kind of give up the, the other stuff yeah. immediately. There's yeah. no happy medium and i unfortunately i got too extreme with trying to make work my life but Mm -hmm. um, that's that's for another day so anyway so you had it figured out at a early age which i think that's daunting and i think that's again that's where people the theme of this podcast essentially is not being weak whether it's yeah mentally spiritually physically in your sense all of that but yeah you have to dedicate to dominance and you figure that out and so what was that you know how did that metastasize? So, number one, I found, I think like you, I found something that I was really passionate about, right? Which helps to give you the, mo- which for me helped to provide a lot of the motivation to kind of work towards a goal. Because I saw, I kind of saw the writing on the wall on what I needed to do. It's a fairly, you know, it's a fairly clear path. It does, doesn't have its twists and turns, but it's it's a fairly clear path. And I knew that if I kind of kept my nose clean, you know, didn't get into a lot of trouble. When, and, and all y'all, not in that kind of nose clean. Nick yeah. was not uh, trying to be a 1980s hair metal band. This <laughs> yeah. was just... Yeah. So if, it, if I, if I don't... PG. If I don't stray... Yeah, not right? Ozzy Osbourne nose yeah, clean. No, yeah, no, no. If I don't stray, um, and, and I just kind of continue to work hard... Um, that uh, that I can make my own opportunities and kind of make sure that I get to the path that I want. And the whole point I was bringing up working hard in your 20s was that if you do that, you've set yourself up for success. It doesn't have to be in your 20s, but eventually somewhere along the line, you're going to have to, somewhere somewhere along the path, you're going to have to dedicate a certain number of hours. You know, Malcolm Gladwell and um, – uh, outliers, I think it was. It talked about 20, how hours. Yeah, you, yeah, you have to do you have to do something for ten thousand hours 10, to 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 become very proficient at or it. Is that the Dan and Shay song? Ten thousand hours, and ten thousand more. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Actually, Anyways, but yeah, yeah, but he they would but they committed to doing that. Dan Shay did, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So well, look at him now. Anyways, yeah, but so it it kind of was. Anyways, putting in that hard work is what I saw as being necessary to get to the goal I wanted to achieve. And so and, and then you're all stuck of a sudden my mind to it. Yeah. Out of college in yep. the air force mm-hmm. was the end goal to drive these, like you're driving essentially a tank in the sky <laughs> Yes, with a steady hand where what you're kind of going back to the KC 10 story where there's sure. essentially, you don't have a flight attendant. 
mm-hmm. right? There's not like a, there's it's this is not the kind of flying that um, maybe yeah. other people are used to. But yeah, to me, if just from what I know, this is the most intense layer of piloting on planet Earth. Yeah. So we take this airplane that can weigh upwards of um, 300 tons, so 600,000 pounds, or just 300 elephants for all of you that are. In Thank the, you. Yeah. Zoo world. See who's got the business degree. It sounds yes, like yes, you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so you're flying 300 elephants. Yep, 300 elephants, and they're all in line, and uh, and so you, yeah, you have to pull it up behind another airplane that's sometimes a little bit smaller than yours. And how many elephants? Probably 200 elephants. So 200 elephants. Yeah. So right now we're at 500 elephants. 500 elephants, 25,000 feet so off the ground. Side, if we take away two elephants, how many elephants are left? 498. Yep. Back elephants. to you, Nick. Yeah, thank okay, you. You're welcome. So, 498,000 elephants. No, 498, because it's tons. One elephant is one ton. See? You can't get me, okay? Yeah, <laughs> that's tried. not even going to make the blooper reel, because that's I the tried. first time I've ever won a math question. Okay, Okay. Anyway, go. So, you're flying it, and, and you have... 300, 300 tons. Yep. And uh-huh. I don't know if I don't know if you guys can like overlay a picture while we're talking about this stuff. If I got a picture to you, yeah. This so not, this is what a diva. So what an unbelievable. Yes, anyways, we can. you want well, peeled grapes? As well? <laughs> those were from the days. This man a stool. Those were from the days when I was thinner, and so I'll gladly show people what I actually was able to achieve. But nice. Anyways, um, so yeah, so you just you have this window that's probably a little bit bigger than well, nobody else can see the room, but it's you know about thirty. They can. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth wall, right? Yeah. We're breaking it down. So you have, that's probably uh, 20 feet from front to back, about 20 feet high, and maybe 30 or 40 feet wide. And you have to keep your airplane in that, the, you know, the certain part of your airplane in that window. And you could be flying through turbulence, through clouds, flying into the sun. Do they even, like, to, to talk to the turbulence stuff, in, yeah. in, in true story, my two biggest fears are frogs and flying. Yep. And so yep. frogs on a flight, I would just implode it's, it's happening one day don't worry no, uh, snakes on a plane with samuel he's like frogs on a flight oh my god they got frogs on this plane um so do they do they even really try to divert you i'm sure like commercial traffic you don't want to go through sure. turbulent air or through bad weather but i mean yeah. this is warfare and where you were flying over yeah. these this is not you're not flying over indiana you're flying over the middle east and sure. this is at peak wartime i mean did yeah. you have to take different routes or was it just all conditions you just had to figure it out so, some you're doing a great Sorry job. about it. Okay, you're doing cool. awesome. Yep. Okay. I'm trying to throw these little. Things no, no, no. You're good. So okay. do I just pick up right where he? Okay. I'll ask again. So like, yep. so did the conditions even matter? Do they just say, Nick, you know, Captain Coach, you know, Dad Silva? Yeah. Here's your 20 by 20 window. The weather sucks. Figure it out. Kind of. When we're over the United States, you can kind of obviously steer around some of the bad air. You get you get uh, weather reports and you. But when you're in Afghanistan and there's a ma- the mountains that border between Afghanistan and Pakistan and the way that air can kind of get turbulent um, and kind of come up, well... Not even with weather, just because of the mountains. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all part of, you know, quote-unquote weather, but um, it, can, it can create turbulent air. But if there are guys who are down below in a firefight, you know, they can't move their firefight, you know, 200 miles to the west just so we can get some clearer air. We need to get that fuel so that we can stay on station and support the F-16s and the A-10s and the F-15s who can drop the bombs on the guys who are shooting at our guys uh, down on the ground. Which I'm so, sure that that headspace of living there, and for real, yeah. taking that to like life now yeah. is, a, is a joke. I mean, like the stuff that you deal with, other than like yeah. health and, and you know, yeah. real life stuff, like yeah. whether it's business or school yeah. or 
low-level drama. You're like, I literally flew a airplane over warfare in Pakistan and Afghanistan, yeah. and it didn't matter. And I had to go and make sure this happened so I could defend my country. Yeah, it and it helps to, um, yeah, it helps to put things in perspective now later in life. Yeah, um, because I've no matter what circumstance, I, like you said, as long as everybody's kind of healthy and and we're all taken care of, whatever circumstance I'm dealing with in everyday life. It's doesn't really spike the meter as much as doesn't really get the heart going the yeah. same way that that does, you know, because you anyway, yeah, it's no, so, there have been some interesting times. Yeah. So, so, so back to it again, just mm-hmm. obviously, this is a really yeah. easy story to kind of paint a, a visual for. So, you're sure. literally flying over enemy territory. I mean, Afghanistan is, you know, part enemy, part it's kind of one of those things where we are, I know nothing, yeah, no, no. So, yeah. so, so the, you know, September 11th happens, the Taliban obviously have, and I'm not an expert on this, but the Taliban have, you know, control over Afghanistan. We go in and uh, we being the United States go in and try to, you know, take away their control over as much of the country as we can and get the Afghan, Afghan people to, um, to have their own government. And part of that is getting the Taliban out of that country so that they can't, they can't have a safe haven to launch more terrorist attacks and that they can't oppress oppress the Afghan people anymore. And so, you know, part of that is just going to wherever those guys are. So you don't necessarily get to pick your, where you want to fight or, um, where you, uh, where exactly you want to be on that day. But, you go where they are because you're trying to get them out of out of the country and and to not have any more control. And so where you where you were flying, mm-hmm. so where you were flying was that considered safe territory? Yeah. So how does that even work? Like, is there yeah. just dedicated airspace that they just know that they're not allowed to touch you? Well, Afghanistan is not. It's not like going out to DFW and or you know Love Field and seeing planes flying all around. There's there's no real air infrastructure there, and there aren't even really fully functioning international airports outside of Kabul and Kandahar, which are the two, you know, two of the main cities. So the airspace is just kind of open. And on top of that, we have great radar airplanes that are keeping track of everything in the air. Are they higher up than you? Um, Usually. Yeah. Because they burn less fuel, the higher they are. Um, So, uh, so anyway, so it's, it's relatively safe and we have control of the air and, and you know, the anyway, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's deconflicted. I think is probably the best word to say. Have you um, seen the new Top Gun movie? Yes. So when they were doing all that, was that same stuff? Even though it was kind of, it, it was. So that's more on like the fighter pilot world, right? But after Tom Cruise, like, would have flown through that canyon and then done that, you know, roll and pull move Can you after do he that? dropped the bombs. I cannot. Okay. Anyway, no. sorry, but after no, but then he probably would have been low on gas, so he would have needed. A refueling tanker. That's why we bring around. in. Yeah, Nick. yeah. Nick comes in with. Uh, it's the whole reason I existed for you know several years. We could have so. used you in the first Top Gun. You could have saved Goose. That's true. Well, I guess hey. they didn't run out of. Did they run out of? Guns? Cougar almost did. Cougar. I mean, because he was so shaken up by the Mig. God, I know. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever Anyways. play the Top Gun video game as a kid? No. Okay, I, I did, and I remember I could never pass the first level because landing the plane was super difficult. More, more on yeah. that. Later, yeah. so so okay. you, you you're in you're in war. You're literally at war, and, and even yeah. that headspace. And again, just to put yeah. it in perspective, like pretty much anything you face today doesn't. It's it's comical, and yeah. you, you had to go and do this. Was there ever a situation where you feared your life, other than just the fear of actually what you were doing? But was there ever something where you didn't recognize something, or you felt like you were getting tracked? Was was that a real 
situation? No, not necessarily. Because uh, the people who we were fighting against, it, their military tactics were very primitive, right? So if we were to be flying over China or somewhere that actually had an air defense system with surface-to-air missiles or fighter airplanes that would pose a threat to us, number one, they wouldn't put us that close to the to that threat because we're, we're a valuable asset. It's really hard to replace one of these. I mean, they don't make DC-10s anymore. Um, but I said KC-10, sorry. No, 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 sorry. It's it's a DC-10 airframe, and the, the Air Force made some modifications that makes it a KC-10. How much do these things cost? I think they were $85 million off the line in and the And you 80s were the one in charge of the whole thing? When I was 27. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's a little responsibility a <laughs> early in life. Yeah. yeah. So, so were you ever, you ever in the cockpit by yourself? You mentioned one... So no, not no. So, you, so there's always two pilots on the plane. Uh, but if you're the one in charge and you've got a 23 year old who just finished pilot training and it's just the two of you, you know, you hope you have a little bit of experience behind you with the enlisted guys who maybe have seen a lot of things too. But it's it's your responsibility. You you take that plane off, and if you have to go get that fuel, it's your job to go in and get it. And Do you have small talk with the other pilot? Yeah, of course. Really? We, so, I mean, some of these flights are 12, 13 hours. At a time? And you're just spinning holes in the sky. You know, I mean, yeah, of course you figure out where they're from, and it's like gravity with uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. You know, you just kind of chat it up. Yeah. Clooney's on the podcast next week. Oh, is he? Wow. Yeah, the, not George Clooney. This guy, it's actually, we're having Jorge Clooney. Jorge Clooney, yeah, okay. One, one of his friends. Yeah, all right. Um, so so you, you do this, and, and I, you know, obviously you, it's like probably a professional athlete. And my buddies mm-hmm. that have played any sport, Yeah. when you reach a certain age, yeah. You know, not that it's an age thing, but they re- they're not going to play forever. And for mm-hmm. you, was it whether meeting my sister, having children, whatever, when you yeah. kind of had your dream job at the time at 27 <laughs> yeah. years old, there's obviously some, you know, that comes with a different, it's a blessing and a curse. Sure. Where some people chase something until they're like in their 70s or the 80s and then sure. they reach that moment. It's like, this is what I've worked for. You did it in seven or eight years. Yeah, it, it, so it's always a fleeting thing, right? Because you, because in the military right now, I'm 38. I'd be an old guy around the squadron, right? And so I'd bring a lot of experience, but you also have to kind of mentor the younger pilots and then move on, right? And it's your job to kind of move on and make way. So you understand everything's finite. It almost helps you because you learn that at a much earlier age. You know, like I know that my military career is over in three years. Like I won't put a uniform on again because I want to move on and do other things in my life. And I won't bemoan the fact that that's not a part of me anymore. It was a wonderful part of my life. It opened probably every single door that I've had open is because of what I did in the Air Force. But I also except for the door that led you to my sister, which was a door. Oh, contraire. Tender. Oh, well, yeah. Air Force and Tinder or not. We'll get to that yeah. one. And fun fact, literally one of my buddies, a guy named Drew Williams, who helped create Tinder, and he's on the podcast. So I'll make sure to let him know that you were on here yeah. first. But, All right, yeah. But I get you matter because of flying. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Um, Fair enough. Okay. So so you, so you have to realize this stuff. And again, I think mm-hmm. that that's something that I'll never experience, where whether it's real estate or venture capital, entrepreneurism, mm-hmm. there is no end goal. Right. And yeah. there's also not a, there's literally not a ceiling, but with sure. you, I, I think that having to learn that at an early age, it's, you know, it's an advanced gift of perspective, which could yeah. kind of jack with you, but yeah. how, how did you take and deal with that kind of head on? So it was tough and I probably didn't acknowledge it as much as I should have at the time uh, as I transitioned out of it, because I really did, you really do miss it. You miss the camaraderie you miss. I'm sure if you had to walk away from this, with like six months notice a year later, you would be thinking, man, what I probably miss the most is the people. Yeah. And so you miss that camaraderie and that kind of shared experience and that bond. 
Um, so yeah, so that was, that was tough for me to deal with. However, it opened up a lot of doors to, um, what I was, um, to what I wanted to do and what I was kind of destined to do with really with the last five years of my life. And so you can't just, that's a cliffhanger. You have to, you got to keep going. <laughs> We're just... So, so anyway, so I would, to be, to be a case, to continue to be a KC 10 pilot. Um, and my life is in Dallas, right. But the KC 10 unit was out in California. So I was getting on a plane once a month to fly out to California, to rent a car, to go to a hotel room, to fly the KC-10 for maybe like a day or two, then turn the car and fly back to Dallas, all time away from my family, right? Mm-hmm. And and then on top of that, you you probably remember when I had to deploy yeah. in 2016, right after Liz and I got married, it just kind of was like, okay, you know, we're we're in we've we've done that right we we've done it and and we did it well and we did it the best that we could um but you know what else is is a possibility and one of the things that i struggle with sometimes is recognizing that my talents can translate into other areas and so liz is lit you know just um unbelievable the well i can't say enough about her but um one of the things that she did was My help sister. yeah <laughs> was help me realize how much i'm capable of you know and so that's she's the one who encouraged me to look into business school and the one who encouraged me to you know just dive head first into that and then you know pursue this position with the pilots union and start my own company. Anyways, not that she's been pushing me to everything but she just her gentle suggestions have made me realize how capable i am and that has really been the fuel that's kind of driven the last five years for me. So going to SMU's Cox School of Business, getting, going through their executive MBA program, getting that degree. And then, like I said, all the other things that I've done, which so. I mean, but you know, there, that, that's a lot. And you know, the term imposter syndrome, <laughs> oh, only because you told me about it. <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> how, how would you describe your interpretation of it to, to the people that are watching us today? I think it's real. Yeah. I think I struggle. I probably still struggle if I'm being honest well, what with myself. Is it, like, what is imposter syndrome? So the way I understand it, it's not a term that I've ever used, but the way I understand it is that it is a talented, capable person who doesn't necessarily see their own value and doesn't necess- and thinks that whatever kind of skills they have don't necessarily translate into other things in life. Yeah. So they can com- kind of compartmentalize themselves. Yeah, but you've done that. You've done the exact opposite. And again, it just goes back. People yeah. were talking before we started actually recording and filming today that, you know, the reason I wanted him to come on here other than be my brother-in-law is the fact that most people that I would know that are in the world of, you know, military service, they kind of peak. Yeah, and, and and their identity, and I think that you watch these movies and you see these like in their characters. But like, this mm-hmm. is my third deployment, and yeah. they didn't have to get deployed again. But it's because they come home, and it's like, what the hell do I do? You miss yeah. that locker room feeling, or that yep. feeling of being needed, and knowing exactly what your role is, and the thought of going and essentially starting over at yeah. twenty seven, thirty six, seventy. It just is not realistic. And so for you, you embraced it and realized whether it's my sister lighting a fire, or you just you know, yeah. Uh, or, or you just kind of I- embraced it. You're the exact opposite of mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. So yeah, I still struggle with it. And I and well, not to get too deep into inside here, but you know the my whole life has really been about service. It was something instilled to me by my dad, um, and that service, um, along with um, the my humility, sometimes fuels that imposter syndrome because I don't ever kind of let myself. 
I try not to let myself get too big, but sometimes it can be self-containing, so it hold my it'll hold me back. And so, yeah, your own worst enemy. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think people who know me best can yeah. can probably see that more often than I can. Sometimes I struggle with it too. I struggle with like I don't feel like I I don't think I belong in the room sometimes. And yeah, I think cities like Dallas can kind of do that to you too, yeah, where people absolutely. lead with the wrong thing. But again, that's just is, that's probably your superpower. Yeah. So um, what before we kind of pivot to the other stuff sure. as far as being a pilot, um, not necessarily for American Airlines, but in the Air yeah. Force, what would you say was the most rewarding? part of it i really enjoyed teaching so it wasn't fighting it wasn't flying over the you know over the battle areas or you know getting you know x number of combat missions or whatever um it was so i had an opportunity um right after my dad died so he died seven years ago next month um and it was kind of a uh, turbulent time in my life and uh, I got offered an opportunity to teach uh, new students how to fly the KC-10 because it was I was I was out in California. Um, I had just met Liz and uh, you know was going to move to Dallas, but I just needed to be somewhere for a little while while I had Sam and he was in school out there, and so I got this six month teaching opportunity and it was exactly what I needed because I got to be home every night. I got to you know focus on being a father, kind of go through my grief process a little bit, but I really enjoyed taking all those years that I had just been like a sponge for all this information and then being able to give it to newer pilots in a, in a useful way that made them better and more effective and safer and all those things uh, in their careers. And hopefully they're doing the same thing. So it's kind of like a paying it forward thing. It was done for me. I got to do it. It was an unbelievably rewarding experience. And now they get to do, hopefully they're doing the same thing. Do you think that's your superpower? My superpower, yeah, teaching, teaching, mentoring. Leading. I think so. I mean, I always I actually thought I always thought I would be a teacher. Even when I, before I joined the military, when I was in college, I was like, well, I'd like to go back, be like a high school social science or history teacher or something like that. There's so, still time. Two I've, years from now, it's still going to be two years from now. Well, yeah, I know the school districts are always looking for subs. I could always just kind of dip my toe in the water there. Fun fact, high school senior newspaper, when they came out with the superlatives, most likely to, mm-hmm. I was most likely to return to Highland Park as a substitute teacher. Wow. So self-fulfilling prophecy will eventually see itself through. $74 a day. Seriously? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not afraid. We'll do it together. I like that. <laughs> yeah. We'll um, split it 37 apiece. So I wanted to wait to tell you this on the podcast, but yep. they did make an announcement that Top Gun 3 <laughs> is coming out. Um, fantastic. And they're going to have the role of Nick Silva, mm. but the only caveat is it's not played by actual Nick Silva. So today we want you to tell us who will play you in the movie, one, and two, what will be your call sign? Hmm. Well, I've been known to have a loud voice, and in pilot training I was given the nickname Brick, like Brick Tamlin from Anchorman. <laughs> Seriously? Well, I got up one morning, <laughs> I got up one morning, and they got these things called stand-ups, where one pilot gets up and he briefs the weather and how what's going on all the different airfields and everything. It was like 5.30 in the morning, like the instructors are like barely sipping their coffee, and I go, good morning, everybody. All right, October 23rd. Weather looks good today. If you're going to Jackson, Mississippi, you know. So Steve Carell <laughs> plays you? Or was that, was yeah, that him yes, in the, in the yeah. Anchorman? So Brick was the name. And if that, it, I know where you're going with the actor thing. I would think probably probably like a Johnny Depp. But you seem to think, yeah, I, think I know you have another thought. No, I don't. No, I, Johnny Depp is who I was thinking. You were. But I, like Johnny Depp, it'd be like a cool crossover movie where he plays Captain Jack Sparrow playing Brick Tamblin playing Nick Silva. What if he was a Navy captain now? 
And he, yeah. but he, oh, wait, there's that pilot with the sword. <laughs> yeah. Swashbuckling Silva. Maybe we cut out the Johnny Depp and just go straight to your Jason Biggs. Oh, joke! No, I, I <laughs> from American that. Pie. American, yeah, that's just we, we just revitalized his career. You know, like twenty years later, Jason Biggs mm-hmm. is back. Eugene Levy plays the dad. Everybody wins. Yeah. Um, okay, so so a lot of life lessons uh, yeah. in essentially the first part of your career. The second part of your career mm-hmm. is in business and consulting yeah. and all that. And I don't know if you you know have a, a glass ceiling there that you you know have a hard time breaking through, but. Maybe give us an idea of some of the lessons that you've learned and how you've been able to help people through your consulting business and sure. through just using your actual brain for a living, which I think, honestly, <laughs> it's a hard thing for people to, to master, and you figured out a way to do it. Yeah, so the so there's two really two kind of highlights of my professional career now. Uh, the first one is um, uh, is obviously the job I'm doing at the Pilots Union right now, and, and we're in the middle of our contract negotiations, and that's been very interesting and engaging um, but the, uh, and so to be able to do that, which is a, a skill that, you know, pilots are very good. We're very good at being pilots, right? I mean, handling whatever situations come, you give us an engine failure, fly through a thunderstorm, we've got it covered. When it comes to thinking about the business aspect of how, you know, our company sees us as a, as a business expense, not necessarily that they don't value us, but, you know, we have to be realistic in the things that we negotiate for and so to be able to provide some of that perspective has been really fulfilling part of my life and then the other part is the small business consulting has been interesting and and i really usually only have you know one or two clients at a time but it's you know just focusing on how to make processes better you know i'm kind of like uh i forget who you're the uh the investor in liquid death i forget what his name was blake wiley yeah so he he had a great point that and i feel the same way in that i couldn't start a business either i think was what he was saying he's really good at coming in and finding a good investment and then maybe helping to grow that investment um i'm the same way i couldn't come up with a concept i couldn't come up with you know but i can certainly see some of the pitfalls and how to how to think about cash flows and how to think about um you know future you know taking on debt in the company and kind of strategic stuff like that. So that stuff's really interesting to me as well and kind of providing that perspective. We do, uh, we'll, and we'll have this question later, like best advice question. Chris mm-hmm. Camillo, who was our first guest, is a buddy of mine, look up to him, and he kind of caught us all off guard when he, he's like a serial investor to like a different yeah. degree, and his, his advice was don't ever invest in yourself. Yeah, Which that, that, that's what I was talking about, yes. Well, well, but, then, yeah. but Blake's was invest okay. in learners and not knowers. Oh and, yes. and so yeah, yeah, I yeah. think there's a lot of you know a lot, yeah. lot of crossovers with that. But I do have a couple more pilot questions before I forget. As an anxious flyer, yeah. um, can you let us know like the different noises, what they mean, and yes, like is there any kind of like you know hand signals and stuff that you can let us? This is like when a magician reveals the the, the secrets. Sure. Tell us everything. Well, tell me what makes you the most nervous. Flying. Okay. Like well, the thought of stepping on a plane. Okay. So it's really for me, it's a lack of control. And it's the fact okay. that it's the only thing in my life that I know that I really don't have any way to help in case something goes awry. Yeah, yeah, that's a good hmm. like so, the initial beep. I always yeah. know that when the fl- the first five so the minutes you hear that beep, yeah. I'm like, okay, we're good. Like, yeah. that means that we're out so, of what enemy territory. No, so the, the ding, the first ding, the dings that you hear that seem unsolicited, usually about like we said, about five minutes after takeoff about 10 minutes before landing, or when you pass through 10,000 feet. Okay. So 10,000 feet below that, it, the cockpit goes, we call it sterile. So like if you and I are having this conversation like this, when we go through 10,000 feet, 
you stop the conversation until you're parked at the gate because you don't because so much is happening you don't want to have any other distraction or any other kind of you know extra conversation going on so it's essentially telling the flight attendants hey we're above 10,000 feet if you have something that's that you've been waiting to call us for please let us know it also means that you're safe to get up and move around you the flight move around the cabin correct like start start your duties yeah so um and then same thing on the way on the way to land i was gonna say on the way down but on the way to land on the descent yeah yeah so what other noises what other stuff can like i mean so if you're flying on an airbus like i'm sure you did on your way up uh when you and abby went on your vacation recently you probably heard like a bunch of whirring sounds underneath the floor right before what's that uh, so that's the hydraulic pump that closes the cargo door. So that's a good noise. Correct. What are not great noises? Like a loud thud or, a, you know, smoke coming out of the back of the engine uncontrolled. Okay. Yeah. So that's a thing. That's a, yeah. a sight. But yeah. Yeah. The, so the noise is so. By the way, y'all, no, I've never asked these questions. No, this, this is, is really, good. This is the perfect platform. I know. For I'm surprised. It. I've been. As yeah. an anxious flyer. Yeah, like, my number. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I think I've asked a few times, but I have like six flight apps going on at, at, at like where I'm looking at weather. And yep. Yeah. I, I just, I never know. Like the scariest thing ever is to me flying yep. above a thunderstorm, which I guess that's technically totally safe. Uh, if you're high enough above it, yeah. We try to go to the side of it. Usually they're, they're higher than we can go in an airplane, so. Oh, um, just but, ruin that part. So when you're going to Colorado, it's always going to be, like when you're going to the mountains, it's always going to be bumpy. When Why? You go on the way in. Well, as the wind kind of comes over the mountains, it kind of gets stirred up. So it's, it's not the actual mountains. It's the well, it's what the mountains do. Well, uh, well, yeah, but over the, over the like if, if you're in Dallas, the turbulence is not going to be as much as you're descending unless there's a thunderstorm because it's relatively flat land. The wind just kind of passes over it. But when you think of wind like on a macro level – Right, and these giant mounds are sticking up. The wind's hitting it, and some of it's getting popping it up, and then it just kind of swirls up into the air, and that's what creates a little bumpies. What's the scariest airport to uh, fly out of? The scariest one I've been out of, the one that where you feel like the most San Francisco. No, because the, the runways are long enough that oh. it doesn't. But um, LaGuardia, New York, yeah, you know, you've got these two small runways that kind of intersect with each other. And there's water on one side, and you know, don't watch the movie Sully. I don't worry, you're not okay. going to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, so those especially are especially don't of watch it if you're sitting next to me on a plane. Don't watch that movie either. Yeah, yeah. What's the scariest airport to land at? Um, San Francisco is terrifying. Well, you're you're just thinking of that because you come over the water. Yeah, it's, and, that, and you don't realize there's a runway right now. if you've never flown in there for the first time. Yeah. Like, oh my god. I know. Well, you're only looking out the side. Yeah. We need to get you that front view because it, it comes at you. No way, because that's the pilot view. Yeah, that's true. Pass. You ever gotten uh, sick? No. In the co- you, have, you don't get like, – I'm literally motion sick just talking about this. So no. we're going to pivot to something way more important, uh, the priorities of being a dad <laughs> and a husband. Yes. So, again, you, you have you have 15 hats you could wear, mm-hmm. um, and that would be just an awkward-looking hat. Mm-hmm. But what, what's the gift of balance? And for – you know, Nick is a very – he's a, an yeah. incredible dad, incredible husband. He's so intentionally you so present. Well. No, for real. But I, And I struggle with, you know, whether it's my phone or just having yeah. – other stuff going on, he, he seems to have mastered that. So w- what's the headspace, whether it's piloting yeah. or it's dadding or it's yeah. husbanding, what's the what's the real secret sauce? Yeah, so I try not to um, – I try not to let anything be too immediate in my life. And that means that 
things that are outside of my family when I'm in kind of these key times. Because being being a dad is, especially on work days, it's kind of compartmentalized for me into, okay, I have an hour in the morning where I, you know, scramble the eggs and then get the kids off to school. And then I go to work and then I have maybe an hour and a half or two hours in the evening. So I try to keep those times relatively sterile from the other parts of life. It's a big word for you, sterile. Yes. Anyway, sorry. So those are... Well, we've said it before with the sterile cockpit. But yeah. yeah. But I try to keep those times relatively clean. And, and I think Liz would, if she was watching this, would roll her eyes. Because sometimes things do become a part of that. But... Uh, and that's not to say I'm not, you know, scrolling Facebook or something, but I try to be intentional about um, being available, especially to Sam, you know, being 10 years old, and it'll be the same way as Libby gets older, too. Um, but just being available, you know, it's like, hey, I'm never too busy to talk to you. I'm never too busy to throw the baseball. I'm never too busy. Because when you think about, I would rather spend an hour with Sam and stay up an hour later yeah. and lose that hour of sleep and still get my uh, everything done that I feel like I need to get done than then not spend that time with him because it, it, it has it's 10 years have gone by very quickly i've so. got the title of the podcast i just named it the prioritizing pilot <laughs> yeah i do too yeah yeah no, I, I, yeah I like that yeah. cool um so what, what motivates you to be the best version of yourself obviously family friends faith you know career what what is the motivator that you just kind of have in, in in front of you all day long so just to to kind of go back to like a sports cliche to just kind of leave it all out on the field. Right. I'm only going to be a dad. I'm only going to be a dad with my kids living at home for a certain amount of time. Um, I'm only, I only have, you know, one shot at that or, you know, two, one shot with two children. But so that, that, that's kind of my motivator. You know, my, my time with Liz is incredibly important to me. Her, she is, she's busier even than I am. So we have to be intentional about how we, um, make that time for each other and, uh, and, but prioritizing that and just really being willing to just turn everything else off and be present in a moment because there's everything else can happen outside. But if you don't have your stuff figured out at home, then nothing is going to feel right outside. So making sure that you're intentional with that and that's immediate family, that's, you know, in-laws, that's all those things. Nothing else as important as that. Um, anyways, so that's my motivation. That. I love that. What about yeah. the best advice you've ever received? I don't. I probably. A lot of that stuff. I don't necessarily take it as like a one liner per se. Like I, I probably the best advice I've ever gotten is probably just the example that my dad set for me, which was to be humble um, take care of what control, what you can control and, uh, and take care of yourself. So recognize, recognizing that how you, how you, the way you dress, and he wasn't, you know, like over the top, but the way you dress, the way you carry yourself, the way that you treat other people, all of those things are all totally within your control and it doesn't cost you a whole lot, you know, either money wise or time wise or really at all to, to make, to be the best version of yourself. I like that. Yeah. So what, are, what is Nick going to be remembered as? What's the, what's the most important hat? Ooh. Uh, hopefully, hopefully a husband and a father. I mean, those are just two the, hats. Well, a family man. How about That's that? one hat. Yeah. yeah okay. he, he, he found the hat. So yeah, I mean, just hopefully I'm, 
Yeah, I mean that that that's the most important thing to me because it, if if I were to attend my own funeral, I would hope that everybody a good technically you'll be there. Well, true, but hope hopefully my family and my friends, the people who who take the time to come, um, are sad that I'm gone, but look look at me and go, he did it right. I so, love that. Yeah. Uh, how do we support you? How do we find you? I know you're not a big social media sure. dominator, but what's the best way for us to show you love? And tell us a little about your business before we, we close it Yeah. Up. So my business is Crosswinds Consulting, and we just provide help for small businesses uh, that are kind of struggling to get to, you know, get to the next level. You know, usually most of the companies I've dealt with have been, you know, around 500000 to a $1 million in revenue. So it's obviously... Um, uh, interesting to deal with companies at that phase, but I'm also, you know, get very interested in, you know, entrepreneurship opportunities or investments and uh, certainly can wear many different hats because I More studied hats. studied really hard in business school to, to learn all that stuff. But Does this podcast make you want to become a bigger social media influencer? Do you think you'll have your first post on Instagram because of this podcast? <laughs> I actually shared a story yesterday. And really? This was like, wow. What was that? Yeah. yeah. It's like when my dad changes his profile picture, mom, she's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did it. I don't, I, I love social media. I'm on there a lot How more than find I you? post. Where, 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 uh, Nick Silva on Facebook. Uh, uh, yeah. Silva 24 on Instagram. I well, don't even know it. 424, yeah. 424. Sorry. I don't know. Yeah. So anyways, look for the link at the bottom of whatever, whatever this is. Rogel post a link there and uh yeah and then and then the crosswind consulting how do we find you there so x wins it's the cross uh is an x but x wins consulting.com and that's the best way to get hold me or check roger's facebook for a family photo because he always tags me and then just click on my name and click on the messenger and i thought that's the best way to get hold of me too you got an influencer in here yeah yeah give me my hat my uh and you're, you're another hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah more hats. sterile yeah. hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for thanks being for my, having me. This is a lot of fun. You're, yeah. You're, you're awesome. You're yeah. a hero. You're um, a legend in the making. And we're grateful for your time today on the Rogers That podcast. Rogers That. I'm Nick Silva, and this is how you sell without selling out. Rogers That.